Well, hey, good morning, Crossing Church. Hope you are doing well, laying down on your couch, on the floor, with your pillow. You know, I think one day, one day here, I'm going to surprise everyone. I'm going to show up in my pajamas and preach in my pajamas as you are in your pajamas right now. How about that, huh? Let's keep it, let's keep it real. Let's keep it, let's keep it real. All right, here we go. Again, welcome. Let me just go over a couple quick announcements. We have two. Uh, the first one, again, TCDC, the Crossing Church Distribution Center. We are still rocking and rolling with that, serving the city of Fort Collins in northern Colorado. We have a great army of servants who have been uh, uh, sacrificing their time, their talents, and their treasure to come and serve those uh, who have need. Uh, right now, there are people that have uh, real needs, and uh, we get to meet those needs, and we're thankful for that. So keep praying for TCDC. Uh, this is something we'll probably extend um, with Serve 6-8, not only uh, during this time of COVID, but beyond that. Uh, we've uh, The Peterson Life Group and uh, Crenshaw Life Group have done a lot of work with uh, Serve 6-8, and I think... Um, We're just really impressed on how they have a heart to serve uh, northern Colorado. And so uh, I'm excited to see our partnership move forward with them. Um, The second announcement, and this is the most important announcement, this is for the men. Um, As we continue with uh, kind of stay-at-home order, uh, we're going to have a a little friendly competition. We're going to grow COVID beards, COVID beards. I was actually... uh, going to shave mine off because it's getting, it's starting to bug me. So I was going to shave it off, but uh, uh, Josh had his beer going. Tyler Dell up in the booth had his beer going. So it's like, you know what, let's just do a COVID beer challenge. In honor of also the NHL playoffs that should be going on, we're going to do men a COVID beard challenge. And of course, this is just for the men. Ladies, you do not need to participate. All right. Now those are our announcements. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 today, uh, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 6. But before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for today. Uh, Lord, this is a day that you have made, Lord, and we rejoice and are glad in it. Lord, we are in a, a, a life that's in uncertainty right now. There's, there's uncertainty in our lives. And Lord, um, we're looking forward to the future and anticipate everyone coming back together, but we don't know what that looks like. And so as we continue to go from um, the the stay at home to now safer at home to Lord willing sooner rather than later to love your neighbor, Lord, as we we start to integrate with one another, we just just pray for wisdom on how to do that most effectively. Uh, Lord, that we would still uh, be mindful of those that are at high risk and how to serve them. And at the same time, um, how we can come together. Because getting together is such a part of the church. And not only just the church, but of humanity. You have called us to be in community. You have called us to be in relationship. And so, Lord, we long for that day. But we ask for wisdom on on when those those days start to come forward, that we would uh, do it with excellence. We would do it, again, mindful of those that are still in the extreme category. Um, again, but we long to look and get together. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, First Peter chapter 4, 1 through 6. It's been said that the two most important days for a person is one, when you're born. That's a, that's a pretty good day, important day. And two, when you figure out what you've been born for, what you've been for for. But as Christians, we would we'd modify, that, modify that a little bit, saying the two most important days are when you've been born again, you've come to know Jesus, you repent of your sins, and you trusted in Him. And as a result of that, the Holy Spirit now puts us on the path that we are truly born for. 
to live or to walk in God's will for His glory and for our joy. And this morning, we, we are in First uh, Peter, and we, we get to listen to Pastor Pete. Pastor Pete continues to build on what it looks like for us to live out and walk in God's will. What does that look like for our lives? And, and the one thing we want to notice right off the bat is it is not hidden. God's will is not hidden. It's not some mystery that we got to go try and find. It is laid out for us in Scripture. As I say, it's not a mystery. I know some people can make it a mystery, uh, God's will for your life. And, and really, it's not. Again, Scripture is clear on, on how we are to live for God. I know some, you might have heard some people or see this. this is, they, they come to the, the, open the day and go, what is God's will for my life today? And what they do is they close their eyes and they open up the Bible and they take their finger and they just try to hit a passage. And whatever that verse is, whatever that passage is, that's God's will for our life. And so they close their eyes, they, they put their finger on the Bible, and the next thing you know, they open it up and they says, and Judas hung themselves, right? It's like, oh, uh, oops, well, that, that, that can't be right. Uh, let's try that again. They close their eyes, right? That's not how it works. God's will is revealed in his word. And Pastor Pete uh, is going to, again, this morning, give us confidence that our lives are, are not being wasted, but we are redeeming the time. We are living out God's will, carrying out God's perfect will in our lives because our lives are in tune with the Scripture. And so that's what we're going to look at today in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. First, we see God's will is to arm ourselves with a wartime mindset for suffering. God's will is to arm ourselves with a wartime mindset for suffering or in suffering. Verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So what we see is right out of the gate, we have to acknowledge something, that the message that we're about to preach on is not a popular message uh, in the American church. Uh, This is a message on, it is God's will for us to walk through suffering. You, You don't hear a lot of sermons like that preached in America today, but But being a Christian and and walking in God's will, we see throughout Scripture that this is a part of God's will for our lives. We are all going to suffer at some point. And this is why I love uh, expository preaching. This is why I love that here at the Crossing, we go through books of the Bible. We go through chapters. We go through verses so that we preach the full counsel of God, even the difficult passages such as this passage is before us, that, that God calls us to suffer. It's a part of walking in His will. So again, it's, a, it's not a popular message. In some circles, all you hear is this, that God wants you to have your best life now. And that does not include suffering. In fact, they would say if you're suffering, that means that you lack something, that you lack faith or you are not walking in God's will if you're suffering. And we know that's just utterly false. And as the English would say, that'd be utterly rubbish, right? Because according to every other author in the Bible, including Pastor Peter and, of course, Jesus They say that we will go through suffering as we walk in the will of God. Jesus said in John 15, he says, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So we can expect to suffer at some level. Suffering is a part of the Christian journey. And here suffering is in its general. uh, It's it's all kinds of suffering that we all go through. We all go through physical suffering, emotional suffering, uh, mental suffering. Today we're going to zero in on another kind of suffering. That is social and relational suffering. So suffering is a part of the Christian journey, and it has to be if we are to live 
our life to the fullest. Because God wants us to live. I, I would agree that, yes, of course the Lord wants us to experience and live life to its fullest. And a part of that is that we, feel, uh, that we go and walk through suffering. Because sometimes it's only in suffering that we can understand and experience the Lord's provision, His faithfulness, His love, His mercy, and all the other characteristics when we walk through trials and suffering. So suffering is a part of the Christian journey. Remember, um, it, it's, remember the saying that I've used when we walk through the book of James. It says this, that, If all we had was sunshine and no rains or storms in life, we would only get a desert. If all we had was sunshine and no rains or storms, we would only get a desert. Now, I lived in Arizona for a number of years, and and man, the the desert has some benefits. The, 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 The benefits is beautiful in itself, but we need green grass. We need flowers. We need big, beautiful trees. We just we need that more than just dirt, rocks, scorpions, and saguaro cactus. And it's saguaro cactus, not cigarro cactus, for those of you who don't know what that is. Therefore, back on topic, therefore, Christ's life is the model and the foundation for us walking in God's will as we suffer. And we see that uh, his command, this call to action, is to arm ourselves. That's the command. That's the imperative. That's what Peter is saying. He's saying to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. What same way of thinking? The same way that Christ suffered in the flesh. We are to have the same mindset as Christ as he walked in the will of God. And this word, arm yourself, is a military term. It means to get prepared in your mind, uh, to fight through suffering. Um, Peter loves this idea that it, everything begins in the mind. Remember, uh, in, back in chapter 1, verse 13, he tells us to gird up the loins of our mind. He's telling us to, to think correctly, have a correct outlook on your life and what is happening. This is the command. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking as Christ. I used to always have a coach that would tell us, man, hey, get your head in the game. That's what Peter is saying. He's telling us to get our heads in the game. Again, we are to take on suffering with the mindset of Christ. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he had a wartime mindset, a wartime attitude. Sin and death were his enemies in which he came to destroy, to eradicate. He came to battle and fight against these enemies. And every advance that he made, every step that he made was calculated to defeat sin and death. To die, And he did that by dying on the cross and then ultimately through the resurrection. Jesus had a wartime mindset. He came to deal with sin and death. And he was preparing. His life was all about preparing for this end goal. To defeat sin and death on the cross and in the resurrection. So when it came time to execute it, it says this in Luke 9 1. He said he set his face to Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, 12 tells us, with, with joy he endured the cross. And this is what we're called to do. This is how we are to prepare or arm ourselves this morning. It begins with a right mindset. It begins with right thinking. So when suffering does come, because we know it will come, we don't have to go look for it, it will come that we are prepared as best as we possibly can to deal with suffering. And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we train our minds? How do we arm ourselves to be prepared to, for this battle? to prepare to suffer and suffer well. One, we pray. And we're going to spend a lot of time next week talking about that in verse 7. Again, we see that we pray with self-control and a sober mind in this. We, we read biographies about other men and women who have, who have followed in God's will and, and walked in His ways. Great men and women who, who have struggled, who have suffered. How do we look to them as, as examples on how to suffer well? 
people like Corey Ten Boom, um, uh, reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. Talk about a sobering yet joyful book on how to suffer. Fox's Book of Martyrs. But primarily, we do, we, we, we train our minds, we get prepared by studying the Scripture, doing what we're doing right now. We're, we're walking through, line by line, verse by verse, of 1 Peter. Peter is a great book on suffering. Some, uh, many commentators think suffering is the main theme. And so this is a great book, not only in 1 Peter, but other books that deal with suffering, such as Job. And we want to get this, this biblical theology of suffering. This is how we're going to best prepare and arm ourselves for suffering, is to look to the Scriptures and then be empowered by the Spirit to walk through suffering. And when we look at the Bible, when we look at Scriptures, we see that there are a great storyline uh, develops from Genesis through Revelation regarding suffering. I think Bob Thune correctly points out, he says this, one of the storylines of the Bible, one of the storylines of redemption is this, suffering comes before glory. Suffering comes before glory. This is one of the great biblical themes in which we see from Genesis through Revelation. I mean, just think about it. Go back to Genesis and work your way through the Bible and and see if this is not true, that suffering comes before glory. We think of Noah, right? With all the ridicule of him building this massive ship, and then all of a sudden, what did it do? Suffering, for all the ridicule from the people around him, he entered the ark and was saved. And it really saved mankind. He received glory. Joseph Joseph was uh, sold out by his brothers, thrown in a pit. He was falsely accused of rape. He suffered, and then glory came where he became the second in command of the whole world. You think of Moses. Moses was a fugitive after he murdered the Egyptian, and he was a fugitive, and then he would then later become the great leader, probably the greatest leader of the Jewish people. You think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She first suffered before glory. She was, again, ridiculed. Her reputation was destroyed because she was pregnant. And yet we see the glory aspect where she gave birth to the Savior of the world. Suffering before glory. We even see here in the immediate context of 1 Peter that we look at Jesus. Jesus suffered before he received glory. Look at 1 Peter 3, 19, just back. It says, for Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. He he, he came first as the suffering servant. And now look at 1 Peter 3, 22. Who has gotten, who is now ascended after the resurrection into heaven is at the right hand of God the Father with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And he is now the ruling king. He suffered first by dying on the cross, but then he received glory by raising from the dead, and now he rules as king. So this theme is throughout the Bible from Genesis through Revelation that we will all face suffering at some level. But then we will also get glory. In fact, this is so um, basic to human life and experience. Even secular culture acknowledges this. And everyone is drawn to this narrative that suffering comes before glory. Think about all the great stories we have in culture, whether it's movies, books, poems, um, even songs. The hero of the story always goes through some kind of suffering before they get glory. Right? Think about Rocky and Rocky Balboa and how he, all the difficulties he had to go through to become champion. Think about Luke and, and Star Wars, Luke Skywalker and all the difficulties and all the sufferings that he had to do. How about Frodo? Frodo had to overcome so many different things in life to get that ring to drop it in the, in the, in the, in the lava. Think about Dorothy of the Wizard of Oz. Elsa in Frozen. Elliot in E.T. I mean, all of them had to go through 
suffering before glory. And just think about people that you look up to. Think about the people in your lives that you look up to. Do you look up to them because they're perfect and they've never suffered? No, you respect them. You look up to them because you've seen them walk through difficult situations and they've come out on the other end with dignity, integrity, and their character still intact. Suffering comes before glory. That's what Peter is pointing out to us here. Therefore, it is a theme of humanity, a theme of the story of redemption. Then we should expect it in our own lives. We should expect that we are going to suffer. It's going to happen. It's going to happen to us. Therefore, Peter says, prepare your minds. Arm yourselves and get ready to suffer as a Christian. It's part of being human. He goes on, since Christ suffered and arm yourself uh, with the flesh, the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This little last phrase that Peter says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased for sin. Peter is not saying that suffering is a means to save yourself or to reach a life of perfection here on earth, that you can reach this this life through suffering that you'll never sin anymore while you're here on earth. That's not what he's doing. He's not making an argument for how to live a sinless life. No, we're only saved through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection by believing in the gospel, and we will still battle sin while we're here on earth. And not only we still battle sin, but we will still sin. So this is not what Peter is saying. So what is he saying? He's saying this, that because we have been saved from sin through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we've been saved from the penalty and the power of sin, sin no longer rules us. It no longer reigns over us. Uh, Our desires with sin are done. It's the idea that that Paul preached about in Romans chapter 6. And here the verb cease from sin is in what's called the perfect tense, meaning uh, there's an action that has occurred in the past with lasting results in the future. Therefore, because Jesus defeated sin for us and we are united with Christ, sin no longer rules our lives, but Christ rules our lives. And therefore, sin can never rule us like it did before Jesus. This is what Peter is getting at the heart of. What does it look like practically? This is what it looks like practically. When we suffer for being a Christian, when we suffer and and feel the persecution of following Christ in our lives, here it is. We don't sin to get out or avoid persecution, but we welcome its suffering. In other words, one said like this, if it comes to the, the two options come to us to suffering for Jesus Or sinning so we avoid suffering for Jesus, we as Christians would rather suffer than sin. That's what Peter's getting at. And we think, we can think of Peter. He's a perfect example of this. Think about his life and how much he suffered before before glory. We look at Peter's life. First, when uh, Jesus was arrested and uh, Peter's fallen, Jesus, you know, behind, kind of staying back, doesn't, doesn't want to see him. And all of a sudden, he denies Christ three times. People say, hey, you're a disciple of Christ. And Peter's like, no way, not me, dude. And he does that three times. He sinned. He, he fell short. He avoided, he avoided suffering for Jesus. But we see he learned his lesson. We see that he overcame the fear of man because, as history points out, tradition says that, that the last time, that, the way that Peter died was that he died upside down on a cross for Jesus. And he says, uh, quote, and this is again history, or tradition that says that uh, don't crucify me, uh, crucify me upside down because I'm un- unworthy to be crucified like my Lord and Savior Jesus. So we see that, 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 that something happened in Peter's life. 
If it comes to two options, suffering for Jesus or avoid suffering by sinning, we would rather suffer than sin. So we're called to arm ourselves with this kind of suffering in the flesh because it demonstrates that we are not ruled by sin anymore, but because God now is the one who leads, guides, and directs us. And it goes on, it says, For we live the rest of our life, or the rest of our time, in the flesh, and no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So to sum up verses 1 and 2, Peter says this, that this is God's will for us. This is God's will for us in our lives, that we should arm ourselves with a wartime mindset to combat suffering when it comes, because we understand that suffering comes before glory. Secondly, we see that God's will for us is to pursue holiness in the face of suffering. God's will for us is to pursue holiness in the face of suffering, verses 3 through 6. Peter goes from the internal preparation of, of, of our mind and our thinking to now the external application during suffering. And he zeroes in particularly on social or relational suffering in verses 3 through 6. 1 Peter 4, 3 says this, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensualities, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. Now, I don't need to go through and, and, and list and explain all these categories, uh, these categories of sin. They're, they're pretty straightforward. We all understand what they, what they mean, the, the categories in which they communicate to us. Uh, these are the sins that the first century Romans, Gentiles, uh, people were doing. This is what the sins that they were battling. We see that not much has changed, right? Because here in the 21st century, we battle, we do these same sins. And these are the same sins that they were saved from in the first century that we are saved from in the 21st century. Listen, all of us in here, all of us have personal experience with some, if not all of these sins on this list. It's not comprehensive, but it is broad enough to convict us all who are listening to the sermon or reading these verses. No one is exempt. It touches all of our lives. Now, you might say, well, not me, not me. I haven't you know, been a part of an orgy or, or drinking parties or whatnot. Well, the last one catches us all, lawless idolatry. Because apart from Christ, everyone is an idolater. So that captures you. So we can all relate to this list. And for me personally, this, this verse and others have been the most reassuring verses for me personally regarding God's goodness and His providence in my life. It has helped me battle the, 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 the lies of the past sins, of when the enemy, the accuser, comes to, um, to bring up uh, the sins that I committed in the past uh, regarding my life before Christ. He tries to, to stir up that guilt and condemnation from my past. It is these verses and the gospel that helps me walk through that. Um, he comes and accuses me. Hey, hey how, how can you be a pastor when you have sinned in all these areas? And not only that you sinned, but you were the leader back in the day. You would lead people into these categories of sin. How can you now stand up and tell people what to avoid, what to abstain from, etc.? Well, one, it's not me telling you. It's God's Word. But two, because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. And it's in these moments when the accuser comes and he tries to, again, attack my conscience and, and condemn me that I arm myself with 1 Peter chapter 4, 3 and the gospel. This is where I preach the gospel to myself. Because, again, there was a time in my life where my life was controlled by sin and my flesh. That's what I, that's what I bowed to. That's what led and directed my steps. Um, and that's why it says in verse, verse 3, it says, For that time 
is past that suffices for doing what the Gentiles wanted to do. God in His goodness, God in His providence, He, he allowed me, He didn't cause me, but He allowed me uh, in His will to, 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 to sin. To sin. Again, He didn't do it. I was doing it. I was following after the flesh. There was a time, but then He said enough when He called, himself, called me to Himself through the gospel. Uh, when, he, when he said to repent of your sins and trust in me. And by the mercies of God, I've been born again. Now that's not my identity anymore. I'm not leading people into sin. This is, sin is not guiding and directing my life. But now I'm a child of God. I'm being led and guided and directed by the Scripture and by the Holy Spirit. And so what Peter is saying here is that to all of us, there was a time that suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. But now if you're hearing this, if you're reading this voice, he says that time is past. It is enough. That time is past. So I preach the gospel to myself. Another, another aspect of, of when the enemy comes to try and accuse me of my past sins and again load me down with guilt is, is um, expiation. Expiation is part of the gospel. Um, if propitiation deals with Christ's death um, that um, atones and uh, appeases God's wrath, for, uh, wrath um, expiation, expiation says this. Expiation refers to the cleansing of sin and the removal of sin's guilt. That's what expiation does. Psalm 103 says this, For as the east is from the west, he has removed my transgressions from me. In the gospel, not only does God save us from the wrath of God, he propitiates us, but also this idea of expiation. He, He cleanses us in the inside. The Holy Spirit comes and does a work on our hearts and cleanses us from sin, removes sin's guilt, removes sin's condemnation from us. It doesn't hang over our heads anymore. Christ's death has covered that. Christ's death has covered that. So when the enemy comes in to to point fingers and to poke holes and accuse you of of your past sins before Christ, preach expiation to yourself. That the gospel, what Christ has done, his death on the cross has, has covered that. He's cleansed you from your sin and he's removed your guilt Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there are now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is, this is what I do. This is not why this, this verse has been so influential as well as the gospel in my life because it helps me get past those accusations and the guilt that, that still might try and come up. It's been paid for. It's been done. So Peter, again, does not condone our sinful past and God didn't cause us to sin but what he doesn't also do is he does not tell us to dwell on our past sins. He doesn't tell us to look back on your past sins and beat yourself up. No, you are a new creation in Christ. You have a new identity in Christ. And so he says the time in which these readers lived, these worldly fleshly people have been sufficient and in the past. Now it's time no longer to walk in these ways, but to walk in holiness. And we see in verses 2 and 3 that Paul Peter focuses on the time that you have left, the time that is ahead of you, not behind you, but the time that you have left that is ahead of you. He says, because you have been born again, now redeem the time that you have left, uh, left on earth. Live for the will and the glory of God. Walk in holiness. Again, it is thought by most Bible commentators that Peter has his own life in mind here as he's writing this. And, and, and he believes that his martyrdom is right around the corner. So, so Peter wants to finish strong. He doesn't want to waste time. He wants to be proactive and he wants to redeem the time. He wants to make it count. And the same with us. 
Our time on earth is a gift from God, and we should make the most of it. We should want to maximize the time that we have, to maximize our effectiveness uh, where we live, work, and play for God's glory and for our joy. I mean, sometimes I, I, I do this a lot, and I'm sure you do too, is like we just kind of go through the motions of the day. We just kind of get through the day, and sometimes in those days we just, do, we just kill time. We just, we just take up mindless activities to kill time. Henry David Thoreau, I think, said this. He says, you can't kill time without injuring eternity. And what he's saying is that time matters. Every, every moment matters in our lives, so we should use it for maximum effectiveness. I love Maximus, how he said it in Gladiator. He says, what we do in this life echoes through eternity. Jesus said this, lay up treasures in heaven. How do we lay up treasures in heaven now? By redeeming the time, by walking in holiness. Therefore, the time has passed for you and me to waste time by living like we used to. We are now to live and walk in holiness by loving God and making disciples. As 1 Corinthians and Colossians says, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we live for the glory of God. So Peter puts it like this. He keeps on going. He says, now that I've redeemed you, now the time to do the will of God, and you're now working, you have a new vision, you have a new uh, purpose and heart for your lives, there are probably going to be some relational, there's probably going to be some relational suffering that follows. Look at verse 4. He says, with respect to this, they, non-Christians, Gentiles, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. What we read is that that old crew used to run with, that old crew that I used to run with back in the day, they are surprised at first that you don't run with them anymore. You don't participate in the activities that you used to lead them in. And then after they're surprised and as they start thinking, they, they, they take it to the next step and they start to malign you. They start to slander you. Again, when you don't join them anymore. Why aren't you running with us? Oh, are you too good for us? Oh, you're goody two-shoes, etc. So first, let's just break these down just a little bit. First, he's surprised. They're shocked that, you're not, that, they're, that you are not participating with them anymore. And first, notice that there's still a relationship. I want to point this out. There's still a relationship when you come to Christ. You still have uh, those friends group. And we don't necessarily want to remove ourselves totally from the relationships that we have. We don't want to create a holy huddle with just Christians. Now, for some of us that, that might be really heavily addicted to alcohol or drugs or other vices, we, we may need to totally remove ourselves because they're going to cause us to fall in. But for most, it's, it's not, not the case. And now that we've been saved from that lifestyle and given a new vision, a new heart, uh, we are now in God's ambassadors to go and take the gospel to our friends, to our family. And how we do this, we do this in humility and not self-righteousness. We never forget 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that says this, after he gives a list of, of fleshly uh, sins. And he says, don't forget who you were. This was you before you were washed, before you were justified, before you were sanctified by the Lord. So as ambassadors, we are never to forget what God has saved us from. That's going to help us keep humble. But they're surprised. The reason why they're surprised is because they are still blind. They're still dead. They're still living in darkness. And we've got to remember this, that with regards to our friends and our family, when, when God calls us, when he, when by his mercy, causes us to be born again, we were blind, but now we see. We, we were dead, but now we are alive. We have been transferred from darkness to light. Therefore, as, as they are looking at their lives and they're contrasting to ours, they still see their lifestyle as normal and ours as weird. They, they, they see what we call now sin because God calls it sin. They think it's normal. They see righteousness and holiness 
and they think it's weird, and they think it's strange. And they don't know any better because just like you didn't know any better when you were blind, dead, and in walking in darkness. And so they think it's strange when a, a, a drunk becomes sober. They, they think it's strange when the impure becomes pure. They think it's strange when, man, you used to have a potty mouth and now you don't any longer. I mean, for those of you that are in high school, those of you who are in college, you, you singles, you really want to freak someone out. You want to see if, uh, a surprise on your friend's face. Tell them this, that, that you believe wholeheartedly that the Lord's design for, for sex was only in the context of marriage for one man and one woman for the rest of their lives. And they'll be surprised that you, you really believe that, how, how naive that is. And then put something on top of it, and you are saving yourself for your wedding night and for your spouse. Man, they will look at you like you're weird, you're strange. But this is what this is what this is what distinguished Christians from Gentiles back in even Peter's day. Matt Whitney had this great quote a couple couple weeks ago when he was going through it. He said this that that Christians shared everything but their wives, and Gentiles shared nothing but only their wives. Um, things again, normalcy is flipped upside down, and we know. Uh, and we can understand this reasoning because Second Corinthians 4 tells us the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. So they're surprised. They're surprised. Secondly, not only they're surprised, but then they're going to they're gonna malign you. Don't be surprised that they might slander you. They might make fun of you. Back when I was playing, this is probably the worst time that this has always ever happened to me, that I had this relational suffering through people maligning me, friends maligning me. When I was playing baseball back in the day, I had one teammate in particular that was just constantly, constantly making fun of me as a Christian. Um, that I wouldn't always go out and do the things that, that came with being a professional baseball player. That sometimes on my days off, yeah, sometimes I would go to the bars and hang out and play pool with the guys and, again, have a good time that way. Uh, but other times I would, I would not go out with them and I'd rather go and choose to go and, and hang out at church or go to a Bible study, or, et cetera. And so constantly this guy was just constantly chirping at me, calling me names, you know, all, just all that stuff. Many of you have, have had similar experiences. Many of you have had people in your lives that you once ran with. God saved you. He changed your heart. He changed your, your perception, your direction, the grid in which you see life. And he's put you on a different path. Now, you don't always go out and hang out. And when you do that, you felt the maligning. You felt people call you out and try and slander you. And, and we, we, we should expect this, right? Again, because of what we just talked about. Uh, apart from Christ, people are dead, blinded, and still living in darkness. So we kind of expect that. Um, and, we, and we know that they don't know any better. Now, does it hurt when this happens? Absolutely. Was it hard? Absolutely. Did I always respond and handle it correctly? No. There were times where I, I, I got right into the fray with the guy. But when I had time to pause and think, um, and, and think why they were doing it, I, I understood why they were doing it. They couldn't, see, um, they couldn't see any different. They thought that what they were doing was normal. Peter also goes on to say that we can endure this maligning because, one, no no first century Roman, no teammate, no co-worker has the final say or the final judgment over our lives. Verse 5 tells us that Jesus holds that. He is the one that is going to judge, and we are all going to give an account to him. The judgment that matters belongs to Christ. It's what Christ's judgment over us. And because of our, our, our standing and security in the gospel, we can be secure. We can have hope and we can have peace. We know that we have been judged rightly because we are in Christ Jesus. You are united to him. 
Finally, we see in verse 6, we suffer still pursuing holiness in verse 6. For this is why, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Now, this is just a weird way of saying that people heard the gospel when they were alive and now they're dead. That's what Peter's saying here. People heard the gospel when they are alive and now they're dead. And though judged in the flesh the way people are, what that means is, is he's just saying that everyone dies. This is the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. Everyone dies, whether you believe in the gospel or not believe in the gospel. Everyone will die, Christian and non-Christian. And it says that they might live in the Spirit the way God does. This is really a, a comforting passage. And really, all Peter is doing here is confirming that those who heard the gospel believed it. It became the grid and the passion. It became the way in which they now walked in life. They followed God's will. They obeyed his commands. They were persecuted for the gospel because they walked in God's will, because they were persecuted. Uh, because, he wa- because they walked in God's will, they were persecuted. Some even died, maybe even a martyr's death. Peter says this, that we need to take heart. We can rejoice because our final judgment is not death, but they are now alive in the Spirit the same way with their Lord God. Suffering before glory. And you stop and think about that. What a thought. What a gift it is that the, 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 the last judgment comes from Christ. And those that are in Christ, though we die, that is not the end. We are now living in the Spirit the way God does. That's an incredible thought. And see, this is why we believe that the gospel is so important. And this is why we believe the gospel, because we want this promise. We want this judgment. We want this reality that when we die, we will immediately be in the presence of God and living in the Spirit in the same way that God does. We will be God in heaven. And this is why we preach the gospel. That's what verse says. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. This is why we preach the gospel, because we want others to experience this verdict. We want others to experience God's love. We want others to experience glorification. That the the suffering that we have in this world is preparing us and leading us to glory. This is glory when we get to heaven and we get to experience again, might live the same way that God does. What an incredible thought. So this week, this week, take advantage of our safer at home regulations. Arm yourselves with the mindset of Christ to prepare yourself for relational suffering when we re-engage with the world. Uh, Get ready to proclaim the gospel. Let people know where you stand. Do it with grace and truth and humility. But know that not everyone's going to receive it. And know you might feel a little bit of relational suffering. But that's okay because you understand that, that they're still blinded by their sin. And you also understand, as Peter's saying here, that suffering comes before glory. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this message. Lord, we thank you for, for Pastor Pete and his, his focus on suffering here. That suffering is a part of us living out the will of God. But we also have the promise that even though we are suffering now, there is glory that awaits us because we are in Christ Jesus because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that, that, that we hear now that we're alive, because one day we will die, and the judgment, that the final judgment that we all face, whether non-believer 
or a believer, we will come before Christ and us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then we will get to go experience the Lord in the same spirit. Lord, that is an incredible, incredible thought. So Lord, thank you for this time. Let us meditate on this. Let us be arming ourselves, preparing ourselves for when we get to re-engage with society again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.